This is the Net Group Investments Podcast, where we explore a variety of views and insights that investors care about. Welcome back to the Net Group Investments Insights Podcast. My name is David Levinson of Net Group Investments, and today I'm joined by Candace Stevens, Chairperson of the Sustainable Finance Coalition. Candace, and thanks so much for joining us today. David, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Now, Candice, I know you wear many hats, but maybe just for the listeners out there, a quick recap of what the Sustainable Finance Coalition is. So the Sustainable Finance Coalition is really a driving force on the continent for the development of new and innovative financial solutions that are targeted at benefiting nature across landscapes and seascapes. And we're passionate about hosting and facilitating a network of sectors, experts and stakeholders across a multitude of interventions. And we really believe that Finance for Nature requires this ecosystem of stakeholders and experts in order for us to develop those finance solutions. Fantastic. Our listeners may be familiar, we've hosted in the past a number of podcasts on climate change. Another key focus area for us at Net Group Investments is biodiversity, and I guess more specifically biodiversity loss. So a key goal for us as we head towards 2030, but maybe you can talk us through some of the global biodiversity frameworks currently in place. So I think it's critically important to remember that when we're looking at our planetary crises, we are often very focused on climate and rightly so, but there is a critical role to play for biodiversity and halting the systemic loss of biodiversity. So we see numerous impacts across the globe, regardless of the type of habitat or the country you're in. And these huge losses in biodiversity have a direct impact, not only on the species that we're losing, but also on our day-to-day lives and our economy. So we can't discount the importance of nature and beginning to address that, regardless of whether we're doing it in our homes, our schools, our businesses and organizations, and in governments across the world. One of the most important things that's happened in the nature space was the Global Biodiversity Framework, which was signed at the COP, which is the Convention of Parties for Biodiversity in Montreal and Canada in December. So it's very new, but also very exciting. And countries came together to negotiate what would be the targets that we need to set internationally for all of us to pull together all hands on deck to begin changing this drastic decline in nature and biodiversity and starting to turn that curve and pull all the levels we need to see an increase in life around us. And the Global Biodiversity Framework sets targets that really speak to how we are going to address this loss by 2030, but to achieve a 2050 vision uh, of really living in harmony with nature. Mm. So what are some of those key targets? I imagine they have global targets as well as regionally specific ones. So they really are set at a global level and countries obviously are then party to those targets. But importantly, there are some that I'd really like to pull out in this discussion. So target three in the global biodiversity framework speaks to 30 by 30, which is protecting 30% of the planet, both in oceans and on land, by 2030. So it's a very ambitious goal, but we know that the vast majority of loss that we see in biodiversity and nature comes as a result of land use change. And this land use change is really what we want to address in the target three, 30 by 30. And we want to be able to use every tool at our disposal in area-based conservation to secure as much of what's remaining and intact, and importantly, begin to effectively manage it so that it has 
as a future for us and for species. Another critically important target is around Target 15, which speaks to the role that businesses and governments have in really disclosing their impact. So we know that numerous different industries and sectors have an impact on biodiversity that is often very negative. And this Target 15 speaks to addressing what those impacts are and beginning to assess them, understand them, and to report on how we're beginning to mitigate those and address them, turn them around essentially. So at the moment, Target 15 is voluntary. It's not a mandatory target. But interestingly, in the build-up to the COP in Montreal, over 400 companies globally advocated to make it mandatory. So there's a huge groundswell from the private sector as well as some governments around the world to really push to disclose on what our impacts are across value chains and across sectors. And the last target I want to talk to is around target 19. So I come from a tax incentive background and uh, particularly passionate and nerdy about the role that tax incentives can play. And target 19 speaks to addressing harmful subsidies and incentives and increasing the role of positive tax incentives. And in the South African space, we have innovated and pushed the boundary of the role of tax incentives for nature. And so I'm hoping to see a lot more of that within the South African space. Space. Great stuff. I want to take it back to that 30 by 2030 target that you mentioned in the beginning there. I think anyone who works in sustainability can easily get quite disenchanted with these targets. Are we on track to meet this 30 by 2030 globally? And I mean, our listeners come from as far as the UK, South Africa as well. Maybe as a country, how is South Africa looking for that 30 by 2030? So that's a really good question. So 30 by 30 is ambitious. It is an ambitious target, but it's a critically important target. I think if we'd set anything lower, we really wouldn't be able to halt the decline of biodiversity. So a lot of countries based on the previous global targets for nature achieved close to 15%. Uh, not all countries achieved that 15% and other countries far exceeded the 15%. So it really does vary country to country country. South Africa was able to achieve close to the previous targets, but would have to work quite deliberately and in a very focused and strategic way to achieve that 30%. Whereas in some other countries, they've already achieved 30%. So on a country to country basis, we need to be able to look at what's possible and manageable within our context and importantly, acknowledge what are the existing tools that we have. And excitingly, South Africa has a number of protected area and other effective area-based conservation measures, or OECMs, which I know is a ridiculous acronym, but it's in the target. And these provide us with a wealth of opportunity and flexibility in engaging a range of different stakeholders to protect our land and seas in a multitude of ways. And what is also important in that context is to know that these things actually cost money. Mm -hmm. So they cost to declare them, they cost to manage them, to protect them. And so the role of sustainable finance in supporting that goal cannot be underemphasized. Before I go into that finance side of things, if I reflect on the COP meetings, particularly around climate change, there's typically this tension between the global north and the global south about, or A, who caused the emissions in the past and whose responsibility is it now? Is it that similar tension at the biodiversity meetings? 
Definitely. So I think these things can't be avoided. And we have to acknowledge the fact that within the developing world, we still have huge bastions of biodiversity. So we see wildlife on an epic scale in Africa in particular, but in other developing nations as well. And the question being asked is if we are going to secure these areas, protect our wildlife, how do we manage the cost being a developing nation when we have economic and social imperatives to balance it with. And so there was a lot of discussion at the COP around that, and it's a really critical question. The other part of that is also the fact that we need to be able to acknowledge that developing nations need to address issues around energy, around water, around food security, around job creation, and how do we integrate environmental concerns into that for a large portion of the time, the two can be addressed simultaneously, but there's a considerable amount of finance that needs to be injected in order to catalyze meeting those targets. Thanks, Candice. And maybe for our listeners' uh, context here, we recently hosted a biodiversity workshop at our offices in Cape Town. I think there were about 30 people from 17 asset managers. Uh, so we're talking about trillions of rands under a single roof, which is rare in itself to get that sort of collaboration or collective thought happening. One concept that you introduced there, which I really loved, was about two sides of the same coin. Maybe you could touch a little bit on that. So I often refer to tackling our planetary crises using the analogy of two sides to the same coin, that you can't separate one from the other. And the first is speaking about how do we decrease our negative impact on the environment and nature in general. And that remains true whether you're an asset manager with an enormous portfolio of assets under your management or an individual within your own household. How do my actions, my decisions, the consequences that outplay in my life and in my job, how do they impact negatively on nature? And how do I systematically begin to decrease those? And that's not something that happens overnight, but it does require a deliberate decision as an individual or a company, an organization to say, we're going to start to unpack what our negative impacts are on biodiversity in the world around us. And we're going to set deliberate targets about how to begin addressing that. The other side of the coin is speaking about the positive role we can play in innovating, pioneering, pushing the envelope in creating new solutions. And there's an enormous horizon ahead of us in creating new finance solutions, flows of finance that are going to directly impact real people and real places and start to heal the planet around us. Mm. I guess we often focus on the risk side as asset managers, but there is the opportunity side as well. So I know you sit on some incubation and ideation committees around some of these solutions and the technological advancements. Maybe you could share one or two exciting things that are in the pipeline. So this is something I'm super passionate about. I love to see us move in the innovation space and be in creating things that weren't there before. So the Sustainable Finance Coalition has a three-phased approach to being able to create these new finance solutions for nature. We start at incubation where we take an individual finance solution idea with a group of niche experts from different sectors and different backgrounds and begin unpacking the building blocks or the 
critical ingredients to determine what would make this new finance solution viable. And that is a critical piece of work that takes place within the coalition so that we can begin implementing and testing these new solutions for the ultimate aim, and that is to create that new flow of finance that's targeted at the point of impact, where it's needed the most in terms of conservation and securing nature and the services it provides for us. So some of these exciting developments have been in the tax space. I did mention that I love to talk about tax incentives. So South Africa has a very unique tax incentive that attaches to our protected areas, our nature reserves and national parks that are privately or communally owned, where they're entitled to deduct the full value of land from their taxable income for the land that's declared in terms of long-term and very robust legislative and policy frameworks in South Africa. So this is something that we were able to incubate, pilot and take to scale and it applies across the country to all qualifying taxpayers. We've also been able to then incubate another tax incentive which speaks to the management costs incurred for threatened species. So species such as rhino and lion, penguins and cycads, really iconic natural heritage in South Africa. A lot of those species are being looked after by ordinary South Africans, communities, trusts, individuals, and this tax incentive that we've incubated allows them to deduct those management costs and we've piloted specifically with a focus on rhino. The other part of what we're looking at within the coalition beyond just tax are incubations around carbon finance, a new incubator on biodiversity credits, and a whole range of work around debt finance and exciting things like impact bonds. So really the sky is the limit when it comes to the different finance solutions that we can begin using. And the key here is really looking at maybe an ordinary instrument within the financial sector and how do we tailor make it to have a positive benefit for biodiversity. Mm. We often stand in our front yards and look at other countries and for leadership and guidance, but it's, it's incredibly wonderful to hear about the, the progress and the innovation happening here on the ground in South Africa, no doubt due to the fantastic work you and your colleagues are doing. So, Candice, thanks very much for your work and thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you, David. It's been fantastic to chat. Ned Group Collective Investments is an authorised Collective Investments Scheme Manager in terms of the Collective Investments Schemes Control Act. Ned Group Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit netgroupinvestments.co.za. Ned Group Investments. See money differently.